0: Folks, and welcome back to Playing Crazy Down Under, the podcast that looks at the world of aviation from an Australia Pacific point of view. This is episode number eight, and we're recording this on the eighth of the ninth. 2009. I'm Steve Fisher and with me as always is my co-host Grant McCarran. How are you mate? Hey not bad mate, how are you doing? Yeah we survived another week and I tell you what mate I'm still on a high from our big interview last week and uh, we've um, really improved our download rate that's for sure.
1: Oh yeah we're seeing some traffic spikes now that the word's getting out. We uh, interviewed Matt but uh, it's making me smile a bit even though the weather's been windy and wet. We've had a lot of rain lately so uh, yeah good for the plants, lousy for any chance to get in the air.
0: Yeah not too good for GA but uh, I don't suppose it bothers the airline too much
1: no, they just put the wipers on high
0: like you say, down here in the south, the southeast of the nation, uh, we certainly need all the rain we can get, so we shouldn't complain too much about it, I
1: guess. Indeed, it's pr- pr- the prediction is it's going to be a bit of a dry um, dry summer, so let's take what we can get.
0: Well, we've got a pretty big ep- episode planned this week, uh, we've got a couple of interviews to pop in, we've got some listener feedback, we've even got a couple of pieces that have been recorded by one of our American listeners, I- I'm not sure what that guy's name is, uh, have you heard his voice before? Well, Yeah, I've heard it in a few
1: places that freaked me out once or twice, but
0: yeah. <laughs> so. So I'm sure that most of you who listen to this podcast uh, will no doubt recognize the voice. So we'll, we'll pop that one in just a little bit later on. But for now, let's just do a quick recap of some past news. Uh, We've got a a few articles here that we'll just mention in passing because they relate to news articles that we've done in previous episodes. Yep,
1: that's right. Uh, The first one we've got up here, uh, as we've previously reported, there was an accident where an aircraft flew into the side of a hill near the Kokoda airstrip in Papua New Guinea where um, there was a bunch of Australians on board who were going to go and walk walk the Kokoda track. Unfortunately, they all died along with um, some people on board from Papua New Guinea, the pilot, the two pilots, and some guides. Uh, the Australian bodies were returned to Australia for burial and we've just had notification that uh, the Australian government has decided to put forward $2 million to upgrade the Kokoda airstrip. They're, according to a, a note in the ABC News, they're going to uh, improve communications and enhance the airstrip to make it safer to operate in bad weather.
0: Yeah, as we mentioned in earlier episodes, it's, it sounds to me like it's it's quite a remote grass airstrip and uh, sitting in some quite mountainous terrain, so uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what sort of um, nav aids
1: they put in there if that's what they're looking at doing. Yeah, whether it's nav aids or just uh, enhanced communication-based things like that.
0: Yeah, so uh, just uh, something we'd mentioned. We thought we'd mention in passing. Of course, uh, we did report earlier that uh, the bodies have now been repatriated to Australia, and uh, hopefully, their families have been able to give their loved ones a uh, a worthy send-off. I'm, I'm sure that they did. Indeed. Yeah, and so moving on to the uh, second bit of follow-up we've got here, and as we've mentioned in earlier episodes. There's been an ongoing stash going on between some of the uh, players and prospective players on the east coast of Australia to west coast of the US route, and uh, there's, there's certainly been no love loss between players such as Virgin, Delta Airlines and Air New Zealand. Uh, an article that we found this week in theage.com.au says that uh, Virgin and Delta slam Air New Zealand's attacks. Uh, Virgin Blue and Delta Airlines have struck back at Air New Zealand over its objections to a trans-Pacific tie-up between the two airlines, saying that the Kiwi carrier's arguments are, and I quote, without a sense, legal factual or economic basis that's uh sounds like fighting words mate
1: oh mate it sounds like something weird say and this wasn't even in cyberspace uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah they, they are raising some very good points here uh because they say because air new zealand uh, is complaining saying that hey they they got knocked back on their attempt to uh get closer with air canada uh why should Virgin, Blue and Delta be allowed or sorry, V Australia and Delta be allowed to get uh, closer together when they weren't however as is being pointed out the Air New Zealand Air Canada application would have given the airlines involved 100% of the market share for flights between Canada and Australia or New Zealand uh, whereas the Delta V situation will only uh, affect about 26% of seat capacity on those direct flights. There are other issues um, that the Air New Zealand Air Canada strategy was defensive to offset the risk of declining demand whereas as Delta V is intended to allow them to introduce new routes and services to take on United Airlines and Qantas. So they're basically saying, NAF off Air New Zealand, you were Complaining about a totally different situation. Ours is uh, this way. We deserve to be seen.
0: It's interesting that you mentioned uh, Air New Zealand, Air Grant, uh, and United Airlines, of course, because they're part of the Star Alliance. And um, I mean, you know, you can book an Air New Zealand flight and uh, travel off out of Melbourne here on a United Airlines aircraft and vice versa. So it's kind of a bit of the same sort of thing, really. It just depends on on how they want to do it. Like I've stated earlier, I sort of think that Air New Zealand and, and for that matter, other people that are complaining, uh, such as Singapore Airlines, they, they sort of need to. To deal with the modern business environment. I mean, uh, you know, back at the time, yeah, things were, were were potentially different. Back at the time when they were applying to operate these routes, so you know, maybe they just need to deal with the here and now and just get on with things.
1: Yeah, well, it's it's interesting because uh, you, you mentioned Singapore Airlines complaining they didn't technically they didn't actually complain it was uh, Tiger that complained and in New Zealand that have complained whereas Qantas, Singapore Airlines themselves and United have declined to object so uh, it's, it's it's an interesting one how they're all showing their alliances
0: Yeah and well, the, fact, the fact there that they've declined to object, maybe that signals a little bit of uh, level-headed thinking there, you know, let's just see what happens and, and deal with it once the decision is made by the federal government, you know, they will make whatever decision they're going to make and obviously the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission will uh, decide whether or not the uh, Delta V uh, alliance is uh, legal or not so uh,
1: we probably just have to wait and see like everybody else. Yeah well that's due at the end of next month so due at the end around the end of October the ACCC should be making their decision public.
0: Mm, So as always we'll keep following that story it's it's certainly not going away in a hurry and you know in the meantime uh, as I always say it's good to see more competition on the route it's it's
1: certainly good for consumers. Well speaking of more competition on the route here's one we totally predicted a while back we spoke about how uh, V Australia was applying to fly into Fiji, uh, replacing uh, Virgin Pacific uh, with their smaller 737s with some of the larger V-Australia 777s. Uh, They were looking to increase the number of seats going from Australia to Fiji and also seeking a slightly more upmarket fare because of the slightly more upmarket aircraft and seats available. At the time we reported on this, we wondered why uh, Virgin was the only one doing this. Why hadn't Jetstar come forward? Well, surprise, surprise! Qantas and Virgin Blue it turns out that they're now going to bring Jetstar in Qantas are going to bring Jetstar in to combat Virgin Blue's offer and uh, according to Steve Creedy in The Australian, um, the Flying Kangaroo which also owns 46% of Fijian carrier Air Pacific has lodged an application uh, with the International Air Services Commission for almost 1,500 seats on the route after Virgin applied for 1,260 more seats and to transfer another 1,260 from Pacific Blue to V Australia. So yeah the competition is heating up between australia and fiji
0: yeah and i can remember here's a good example of where competition is great uh, now i traveled to fiji with my family back in 2001 and the only choice you had back then was Air pacific uh, and they had a flight leaving melbourne at midnight twice a week so I'm sure that's not the case now although I haven't checked their Pacific schedules I, you know, I would assume now with all this additional competition coming on we would be getting much much better service from them now
1: yeah well the only concern with this one is that it's becoming a standoff because uh, if uh, Jetstar's application goes ahead that move would uh, if it's successful that would actually stymie Virgin's daily 777 plans so it may very well be that uh, they can't both increase the pie it's going to be a zero sum game one of We'll get it. One of them won't. That kind of scenario. So we're going to have to keep an eye on this one.
0: An interesting bit from a uh, scheduling standpoint here, Grant. I don't know whether you noticed in that article. It says that um, if V Australia can gets permission to operate that service with a triple seven, uh, that would allow an aircraft that currently spends twelve hours on the ground in Sydney between flights to the US to be used on the nine-hour return trip to Fiji. Well, absolutely. Those aircraft are not earning any revenue while they're sitting idle. So you know what a bonus for V Australia if they can get that in, in, Indeed. in more ways than one.
1: Indeed, and that's exactly what Emirates does with their uh, their aircraft, including their A380. Uh, why have it just sitting on the tarmac waiting for that opportune moment to get its return slot? let's use it they actually fly from the australian east coast across to new zealand and back in the time that it would otherwise be sitting on the ground uh taking up parking fees and in addition to running with perhaps not a full load of passengers they have a pretty full underhold full of uh large cargo containers Uh, the typical airline going between australia and new zealand is a 737 which doesn't carry the huge containers and the a380 going across carries the big ones
0: and our next news brief here grant deals with the world of online travel agencies now we were having a discussion about this in episode episode number six about, uh, you know, uh, my theory on being able to book your, your travel pretty well and get a good deal online and uh, your preference for using uh, boutique travel agencies. For international travel, yeah. Yeah, so just having a look here at one of the local online uh, travel agent websites you can go to, Webjet. So we found this article here on uh, Travel Trends, on the uh, TravelTrends.biz website, and it's uh, talking about pressure on Webjet as ZUJI and Expedia drop fees. Now um, of course, you know, like any travel agent, you know you can have a look at the base fare, but there's always fees to go with it. Well, the pressure is now on the market leader Webjet following announcements today that ZUJI and Expedia are scrapping all of their airline booking fees effective immediately. Uh, The move will be heavily supported by advertising campaigns. Uh, Webjet now charges up to $49.90 in fees per airline booking
1: that's a fair amount of money, actually, per, per booking. Uh, so if you do a multi-leg with three different airlines, you could pro- possibly get charged 150 bucks.
0: Yeah. Ow. It says here, domestic airfares booked through Webjet attract a $29.90 additional charge. That's made up of $19.95 processing and a $9.95 price guarantee, whatever the hell that is. Almost yeah. the total, co- And that's almost the total cost of a Tiger Airways one-way trip between Sydney and Adelaide, so uh, <laughs> that's... Um, <laughs> That's unbelievable. That's probably why I've never booked a flight through them, Grant.
1: Yeah, it could also be why I don't really want to fly with Tiger, because if you're only paying $30 to go one way between Sydney and Adelaide, oh my God, what's being cut?
0: (laughs) I'll tell you what, though, um, you know, and let's not get off on a Tiger Airways tangent, at least not quite yet.
1: Later, Uh, later.
0: uh, Tiger Airways, of course, when you book a flight through them, you get the base fare, but then, you know... (laughs) Oh, you want to carry a bag? Oh. you, no, want, you want to carry oxygen? a bag. You, oh. you, you want oxygen? My goodness. Well, that's oh. going to cost you. You wanted a seat you could sit in. Oh. Mm. So, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's not get off about fees. So, uh, anyway, uh, Webjet CEO David Clark says that they're not going to cut or reduce fees and believes the company's technology is worth paying extra for. Mm. Mm. Well. Time will tell. I mean, uh, you know, people will people will go where they can get the best deal. And if uh, they think they can get better deals out of Zuji or Expedia, I'm sure that the traffic will go there. And uh, Mr. Clark may have to reevaluate that statement, I think.
1: Be left in the digital dust. Speaking of uh, digital approaches, we uh, received an email from Veggie, a friend of ours, and uh, he's been uh, been following us for a bit and wanted to make a comment on an item we'd raised a few episodes back about uh, laser pointers and some people being arrested uh, down the south in Australia. He said he gave a bit more clarity on a recent case where uh, air traffic control knew that there were some uh, idiots out there using their laser pointers to target aircraft and so on. And so uh, the police air helicopter was in the area coming back from a job and uh, a jet on finals gave an approximate location and the Polair helicopter asked to do a fly past and in the process of flying by they were actually illuminated by the laser pointer so these idiots on the ground illuminated a police helicopter so the really funny part is that the police immediately land and arrest them I mean good one guys illuminate a helicopter carrying police no wonder they landed and, and arrest them. So Veggie, who works in air traffic control, has pointed out that, uh, yeah, it's uh, for an en route controller. There's not too much uh, issue for, uh, not too much chance of being uh, shined. But uh, <laughs> apparently they've uh, had a few lasers shined into the cab of control towers, which is just ridiculous.
0: Yeah, I'll tell you what, that gives a uh, new meaning to the expression assisting police with their inquiries. Nothing like, uh, you know, pointing a laser straight at the helicopter and saying, here we are, boys, come and get us.
1: Oh, yeah. Laser targeting missile locked on. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thanks to Veggie for that comment. That was great. What a pack of bozos. Indeed. <laughs>
0: we should start a bozo of the week, I think, Grant. What do you think? That could be a segment. Uh, mark that down
1: somewhere, would you? Yep, yep. I'll make a note there. Uh... Although. Sounds like uh, listening to one of the latest uh, UCAP podcasts, uh, the Uncontrolled Airspace Team, they were talking about a guy that uh, Jack wanted to call a bozo, and Dave said, no, 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 don't call him a bozo, that's being nasty to bozo. Remember it, good old bozo the clown.
0: Well, clan. Now we mentioned at the top of the show here That uh, we had some audio clips sent in to us this week by a mystery Friend from the United States Well of course he's not really a mystery is it folks Most of you that listen to this podcast have come to us From the Airplane Geeks and one of the Members of Airplane Geeks is of course Young Dan Webb and uh, Dan has sent Us a couple of audio clips now There's two of them here we'll play, the, we'll play the second one First because he's actually talking about Or he's actually providing a bit of commentary On a topic we covered recently Regarding different aircraft types that uh, transit across the Pacific, so uh, we'll just play that one now. Yep, kick it in.
2: Well, hello, gentlemen, if that's the right term to use for you guys. No, I'm just kidding. I like you guys. You guys are nice. Anyway, I just listened to part of episode six, as I could not contain myself, and I had to do a recording right now, and I have three comments for you guys. Number one, thank you for plugging Airplane Geeks, because we were worthy of plugging. Airplanegeeks.com, listen every week. Number two, thank you for reading my article that I sent in, and also saying hi slash day, Dan. It made me feel warm and fuzzy inside, and as we all know, that's the point of podcasting. Number three. Um, you guys talked about an article saying how United would stick with the 7.4 on its Australia routes, and a couple reasons why uh, they might do that. Number one, um, and this, you know, this is kind of a minor reason, and it could be valid if they compete with someone on some routes. All of United 7.4s, well, Almost all of United 74s have been reconfigured with their new business and first class cabins. Uh, none of the 777s have. So maybe on some routes they'd say, oh, we want to have this product out there, that way we can better compete uh, with other carriers. The biggest reason, though, at least for this market, is that United has old 777s. They're actually a launch customer for the 777-200 back in the 90s. And the original 777-200 simply does not have the range to go from uh, Los Angeles to Sydney, for example. Uh, That's why you're seeing um, V Australia use the 777-300ER and Delta using the 777-200LR. So, anyway, uh, just thought I would send that comment in. Talk to you guys later.
0: And so there you go. That's uh, yet another informative piece by Dan. It just goes to show how little we know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, no, it is, a, it is a pretty good point that uh, yeah, they're using the uh, comparatively shorter range 200s. So I, I remember when United uh, was picking those up, I was due to fly from London back to Manhattan, uh, where I was basing at the time. And I actually specifically requested a flight from uh, London Heathrow to Newark just to get on the 777 and fly it. Um, it wasn't its first flight, but it was very early on when they first had them. And uh, yeah, I flew into Newark and then suffered through the hassle of getting back onto Manhattan. Island all the way from Newark, but did that just to be able to say I've flown a triple seven.
0: Yeah, well I got to tell you, and you know I did my first flights this year on a triple seven. Boy, was I impressed! I mean, not only from the fact that you know the the planes I flew on were brand new, uh, I really like the layout of the cabins in those, and uh, they certainly appear to be a much quieter aircraft. Um, I kind of liked them, and I'm sure I'll enjoy any other further trips I make on them.
1: No, they are a beautiful aircraft. I'm looking at my range of Boeing models here, and uh, yeah, the the 300LR looks pretty good.
0: I'll tell you what. uh, Grant, do you get the impression that Dan's not really a big fan of United Airlines? I just seem to get that sneaking impression. You
1: know, it's very possible. And uh, I think we get to hear that a little bit more. Uh, We heard that on the Airplane Geeks episode where he was talking about his trip to San Diego, where uh, amongst a lot of free booty he got to grab, uh, he also, uh, maybe I should rephrase that. Americans think of booty slightly different to the way we do, don't they? Yes. Yes. Just just disregard that last last bit of commentary, our American friend. Okay, let's (laughs) rephrase that and call it the free swag he got to take with him. There you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just realised that we should change that but uh, we can edit that out and post whatever. Yeah, we can but <laughs> we won't. Yeah, probably not <laughs> uh, but yeah, during his uh, trip to San Diego to experience the wonders of uh, an aviation conference where most airlines had samples of their various business class seats and uh, amenities and so on available. I know that Dan got to have a lot of time getting very flirty and friendly with some v australia uh, stewardesses and uh, various other flight attendants that were there so uh, fortunately he's been very nice and he's done a specific version of his report just for us talking about australian airlines
2: dateline september 3rd 2009 see doesn't that sound delightful when it said normal and by normal i mean american well hello everyone this is dan webb reporting for the plane crazy down under america desk i guess Last week, I was at the National Business Travel Association conference in San Diego. And a lot of the airlines attend the show, um, as the name implies, they're there to attract more business passengers. And the way they do that is by showing off their in-flight product, often by bringing seats to the show. So being the loyal, plain curiosity, Don Under listener that I am, I sacrificed and sat in business class seats for you guys. You're welcome. It was very tough. Donations can be sent to Rob Mark. No, no, I'm sorry. I mean my PayPal account. Who cares about Rob? Maybe you should edit that out. Anyway, uh, continuing. So I tested out the products of V Australia Qantas, but also Delta and United as well. I figured I'd mention those since they're on some of the trans-Pacific routes. So I just want to go by class real quick. First, economy. None of the airlines had their economy seats during the show, but I did a little bit of research, and here's my conclusion. Avoid United, and here's the reason why. Their seat pitch is pretty much on par with everybody else, so that's fine, but they have the narrowest coach seat of ever, ever everybody. So, I would avoid that. Another reason to avoid United is the interflight entertainment. On a very long route like Los Angeles-Sydney, I would find interflight entertainment very, very important. All the airlines except United have seat-back televisions. So, I think it's another good reason to avoid them. So, for economy, avoid them. I think my pick would probably be Via Australia. Once again, I haven't tried it out, but they do, their seat pitch is very good. They also have the widest economy seat. And, Their in-flight entertainment looks really cool. I was able to demo their RED system at the show, and Steve, I believe you will experience that as well on your recent trip, and I I think it was really cool. But avoid United. Now before I get to premium economy, I want to mention real quick, United's uh, sort of, kind of, not really premium economy, economy plus. If you want to buy this, just know what you're buying. It's nothing really special, it's just a few extra inches of legroom and coach. Now that, that might be handy, but just, that's all you should expect. Anyway, premium economy. So, I sat in the premium economy seat that Qantas has in the A380, as well as the V Australia uh, premium economy seat, obviously on the 777. But before I get to the seats, I want to mention um, Virgin Blue here in V Australia. I want to give them brownie points, because compared to a certain other Australian airline, they actually had flight attendants showing off their products. And these flight attendants really knew what they were talking about compared to the salespeople at the other Australian airline. So I, I really think that they put on a great show and they answered all my questions and it was great. And the same thing goes for Delta United. Delta had flight attendants there, United didn't. Anyway, so premium economy. I love premium economy. I think it's a great idea that more airlines are adopting it. Um, the seats for V Australia and Qantas kind of similar in some areas. Um, the seat pitch very similar. They're same width. Personally, I found the V Australia seat a bit comfier, just because it was leather. I found it a little bit more plush. But overall, I really don't think you go wrong here. Um, maybe you might want to choose V Australia because of that, um, because of that system uh, of the, that red system. The screens were very nice and big. Personally, I, I really don't think you go wrong either way. Next, business class, and all four airlines have this, so I'll do the Australian carriers first. And I'm going to give this one to Qantas. The Qantas business class seat, well, both seats are lie-flat beds. Actually, all, for all four airlines, are lie-flat beds, which is very nice. The Qantas business class seat, compared to VIA Australia, first, it's a smidge longer. So if you're tall, that might be that might be important to consider. But it gives you a lot more privacy. Basically, you're in a shell. It reclines into that shell, and plus has a bigger. It appears to have a bigger privacy screen. So I'm gonna give this one to Qantas. But once again, you're in business class, you can't go wrong. But I gotta give the American carriers mega props for these, and I think they actually have better products than Qantas and V Australia. Uh, Delta has introduced the lie-flat seats on their triple seven two hundred LRs, which is what's flying between Sydney and Los Angeles. Very comfy. Um, it gives you a lot of privacy because it's in a herringbone uh, configuration. Basically, what that is, um, you're basically there's a middle in the middle of the uh, of the uh, uh, aircraft. Uh, there are seats coming out off one center row, uh, and they're off at an angle. And then the seats uh, uh, next to the windows are at angles as well. So I, I think it's nice. It gives you a lot of privacy. Nice long bed. Very comfy. I, I like the herringbone configuration, because it does give you a lot of privacy, but because of that that configuration, if you are traveling with a significant other who you actually like speaking with, I probably wouldn't recommend the Delta seat, but the United seat, I loved. And United has these seats on all their 747s, all their 767 300s, and um, none of the 777s, but it gives you plenty of privacy, but still you're next to someone. So if you want to talk to the other person, you can. A nice big screen, um, nice long bed. So uh, very comfortable. I'm going to have to give this one to United probably. But for all these, you're in business class. You can't go wrong. And if you want to whine about it, um, you can give me your ticket and then I'll fly for you. For first class, Delta and V Australia do not offer first class product. Qantas United do. Unfortunately, neither airline had their first class suites available. But if either airline is listening and would like to give me a free ticket to test them out, I'd be very happy to. Steve and Grant have my email address anyway guys um, hope you enjoyed this Um, thanks very much for listening and catch you next time
0: and thanks again to Dan Webb for that uh, really detailed report now I'm just going to say something just come close close listeners we don't want to tell Dan I'm saying this I think Dan will end up running an airline one day now everybody who listens to this podcast got to promise not to tell Dan I
1: said that yeah well we know Dan doesn't listen oh hang on he does oh well okay I gotta say it I you know this will blow his ego so much as earphones will pop off but uh, for a young guy, he's and for someone we love to play out on, Dan does some really good stuff. He's great with the numbers. He's great with the analyses. He's he's on the ball he does some great interviews uh yeah we're i'm really happy to be able to have some of his content here on done specially for our our podcast as well so thanks dan really appreciate it mate and don't worry we'll give you some some hassling later that'll help bring that ego back down to size
0: and of course you can find dan on the airplane geeks podcast which comes out every week in fact it has a really good segment on there called the australia desk i've heard it once or twice <laughs> there is that <laughs> Now let's move on to some news about Qantas. There's, in fact, plenty of Qantas news this week. Uh, The first story we're going to touch on here is uh, regarding a Qantas emergency landing in Perth recently.
1: Oh, yes, our favourite flying rat, the one that we love to look at and salute when it flies wonderfully over us. Yes, except for this particular 747-400, perhaps. Yeah, this this particular uh, 747-400 is getting a similar reputation to the one known as the golf buggy. That was the one that uh, went off the end of the runway at uh, Bangkok and to a golf course is now known as a golf buggy.
0: So uh, this happened earlier during the week a Qantas flight coming from Singapore and on its way to Sydney actually was forced to make an emergency landing at Perth over in Western Australia after fuel started leaking from an engine. Uh, Qantas flight 32 it's a 747-400 was carrying 290 passengers and landed at uh, 3.20pm local time. The leak was found in the number four engine and was shut down by the captain as a precaution. Now Grant um, as you were just saying this plane's got a bit of an interesting history maybe you can uh, elaborate on that.
1: Yeah mate the the first aircraft I was talking about known as the buggy is uh of course victor hotel oscar juliet hotel that was the one that overran the runway at bangkok and wound up on the uh Thai Air Force golf course that's between the runways at uh, Don Mueang in Bangkok wonderful uh, golf course I've uh, played that one a couple of times and I tell you what I have the worst game of golf ever there because I'm so busy looking at planes <laughs> but no this aircraft was uh, Oscar Juliet Kilo and Oscar Juliet Kilo was the uh, famous QF30 flight that was uh, flying from London Heathrow to Melbourne via Hong Kong and on the way out of Hong Kong towards uh, Melbourne it had a oxygen cylinder rupture and blow out a big chunk of the fuel just in front of the leading edge of the wing. Uh, they made an emergency descent and then went and landed in the Philippines. It caused quite a stir. So this particular aircraft, Officer Juliet Kilo, has now been involved in the fuel leak in the number four engine.
0: It says here in this article we're reading, Grant, which is in the Australian, and actually just for a change, not by Steve that uh, the aircraft is uh, 18 years old and is actually due for retirement uh, this coming November. Pretty obviously the Qantas spokesman said there was, and I quote, absolutely no link between the two incidents, which yeah, I guess there wasn't. However, it uh, would certainly have you thinking twice about getting on that aircraft particularly if your crew i mean uh, you know if you're if you were prone to be superstitious i guess
1: yeah well uh, there is a certain friend of mine who will give me a yell and he'll be like hey well actually there's two of them now who do it they'll sms me before they jump on a plane and say tell me about this aircraft here's its rego because i'll they'll be doing all they can to get the rego off
0: the tail <laughs> the other interesting thing is it says here following its previous incident it
1: cost 10 million dollars to return the plane to service the Qantas board don't want to be the board that lost their first jet uh, Qantas have the enviable reputation of having never lost a jet airliner. When um, Oscar Juliet Hotel went off the end of the runway at um, Bangkok, um, a lot of people were saying it should have been written off, large chunks of it were broken. They modified it, corrected it, repaired it, etc at Bangkok and flew it with just tech crew on board. Uh, no no cabin crew, no passengers and apparently on its first flight out of Bangkok uh, partway out the uh, emergency board lit up like a Christmas tree and they, they turned around, landed, did some more work on it and flew it back to Australia and, and got a majorly repaired but yeah they uh, they patched this one up in the philippines flew it back to australia to do some major repairs on it and again better to repair than to be the uh, the ones who lose an aircraft i believe emirates are probably thinking the same thing about their uh, a340
0: speaking of Qantas problems not only have they been having a few mechanical problems of late they're also having some big big trouble with money
1: yeah, it's a, it's a major issue at the moment. Uh, Their yields fell sharply in July amid heavy discounting. So although passenger numbers and proportions of seats filled across the entire Qantas fleet have improved from a year ago, the uh, revenue has dropped because naturally everyone's discounting like mad to get passengers on.
0: Yeah, so there's a number of articles uh, in the paper in the last week or two talking about this one. The headline that really grabs me says this, Qantas continues to hemorrhage buckets of cash on its international routes. <laughs> yeah (laughs) that's pretty that's pretty dramatic talk but uh yeah it sounds like uh sounds like they've been having a bad month here it says the airline's had its worst its worst month internationally in july since 2006
1: yeah no it's it's not really good their uh their ticket sales are down uh down 24 percent and uh people are not flying it's as simple as that and any flying that is going on is happening on rapidly majorly discounted um tickets so yeah as it says if uh Jeff Eastdown's article says if you uh, strip out the massive returns from its frequent flyer program, Qantas is hemorrhaging nearly as badly as its peers in the region. Jetstar's getting hammered. They're getting impacted from um, other airlines in the east, especially the discount carriers such as uh, Asia X, and uh, on the Pacific they've got V Australia and the Delta V situation coming along to beat them up as well. So they're really they're really copping flak uh, financially from every every angle.
0: And I think it's interesting too, like there's often a lot of talk in the United States about the legacy carriers and their, their old world style of thinking. Qantas is is kind of locked into that same sort of thinking too, and, and maybe they don't really have much of a choice because their main old world Rival, if you like, that had the same sort of thinking was, of course, ANSET. Well, ANSET don't exist anymore, and in their place is Virgin. They're Virgin coming with a, a totally different business model, a different way of thinking, different enterprise bargain agreements yep. uh, with their staff, with their pilots, and all that sort of thing. And although, and we've talked about this before, Grant, where Qantas has set up Jetstar, to try and do the same sort of thing. Their mainline airline, I guess, operations, uh, is, is still that sort of legacy carrier model. And it, it would be a shame, in a way, to see that go. We, we wouldn't want to see a premium, the premium sort of brand of, that Qantas is to suffer too much. But, uh, you know, what, what are they supposed to do in this sort of
1: business environment? Well, I, I think what they're trying to do is... Uh they're trying to go more Jetstar everywhere, and uh, save Qantas itself for the uh, pr- for those premium routes. Uh, indications are that uh, there is an article out here about uh, Jetstar taking more and more, um, more more and more of the uh, routes off Qantas mainline itself. They reckon that pretty much all domestic will be Jetstar except for some of the lucrative routes like between Melbourne and Sydney.
0: And that would be interesting in itself, too, because uh, if you think back, uh, Qantas traditionally was only ever the international airline for Australia, the flag carrier of the nation, if you like, and uh, the domestic stuff uh, right up until really 2001 i guess yeah. uh, maybe not 2001 but say the mid 90s uh, the domestic stuff was done by australian airlines which was originally uh, trans australian airlines near qantas took them over or depending on who you talk to they were merged but they were basically taken over
1: and australian airlines became qantas domestic my uh, my sister was with australian airlines as a flight attendant during that merge
0: yeah so it, it may if what you say is true then it looks like they may perhaps even be heading back to that way where you know we'll, we'll basically have a separate domestic airline again being Jetstar and Qantas just doing all the international
1: stuff. Well, Qantas will stay on the premium area. Uh, see, the, the thing that the Qantas group have to do is they've got to go up against Tiger. As you said, Jetstar, you know, Jetstar's expanding the... the um, the full service quantos product is is losing money tigers coming in there undercutting them uh, you mentioned how virgin blue have taken over from anset and they're not they're like southwest they're a hybrid they're not purely low cost they're not um, legacy they're not full service but
0: yeah they, they started them. off they started off low cost didn't they but they've sort of morphed into this not quite premium but not quite low cost yep. alternative type of uh, hybrid airline, so it's it's interesting to see the way they've gone. It's it's they're certainly not the the cheap discount carrier they were when they first came on the market back in 2001. That's for
1: sure. They've uh, they they refer to themselves now as a new world carrier, which is that uh, hybrid sitting in between almost like a teenager you're not a you're not a discount kid and you're not a not a full service adult you're that teenager in the middle and yeah. uh, that's that's where Virgin Blue is but Tiger's definitely down the bottom end Jetstar is towards the bottom end and sort of bridging between Tiger and uh, Virgin and then you've got Qantas up the top and yeah their whole pr- um, premium service thing just isn't making the money
0: then again you know we're, we're you're starting to hear uh, rumblings about the economy improving here and there and, and maybe you know if that is true I mean I'm sure we will come out of this recession at some point. You know, recessions don't ever last forever. You know, maybe once we're out of the recession and back onto the next up cycle of the economy, that uh, maybe surely things will improve for Qantas.
1: Well, there is there is talk out there that um, the premium market may be dead and gone and may never come back, even when the recession picks back up. Uh, the stigma of first class, business class, the stigma of companies blowing too much money on travel, you know, that may all just impact it and get rid of it almost entirely so this is something that airlines are really looking at around the world at the moment will it ever come back will it ever be like it was even before 9-11
0: people are obviously not so loose with their money as they were a few years ago and businesses most certainly aren't and uh, you know yeah. that's that's really where Qantas is, is hurting because businessmen if they're traveling are traveling back on cattle class with the rest of us yeah
1: or going tiger
0: if they're really really trying to cut the costs it's
1: Ugh. yeah it's happening what sort
0: of- what sort of business would do that to their employees,
1: Grant? <laughs> ah, a few self-run ones, a few small ones, things like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, not ones that I want to work for, that's for sure. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, it's it's going to be very interesting where this goes. Uh, for all the talk that you hear in the papers of, oh, we've rounded the corner, things are getting better, you, there's still companies closing down and people being laid off. Uh, that, that bit doesn't get a lot of press at the moment. It's all, yeah, yeah, business confidence is up. Yeah, everything's good, blah, blah, blah. Oh, by the way, 350 people just lost their job when that company, that um, factory just closed, you know, things like that.
0: Mm, in fact, that was in the news just today here in Melbourne, didn't mm. it? You know, the big, big factories go to the wall. So. Just recently, yeah. So, speaking of more bad news for Qantas, the federal government looks like they're going to be tendering out their travel contract. For the politicians and public servants, uh, traditionally, Qantas has had a stranglehold on that market. And it says here in an article in the Sydney Morning Herald this week that that market is currently worth $500 million on the annual travel budget. So it um, looks like uh, Qantas is going to have to now tender for that yeah, the, contract.
1: They've actually what the government's done is they've packaged it all together. Typically, you'd have divisions of the government would uh, put their own flying out to uh, tender or they would uh, seek an airline a special agreement, but now the government's doing a whole of government package It's the first time they've ever done this, and this is pretty big. Whoever gets this one is going to have one sweet little package.
0: There's a gentleman here by the name of Ian Thomas, who's quoted in this article, as saying it's a pot of gold for anyone who can win it. There you go. uh, uh, He's the manager of uh, Kappa Consulting. He said it's going to be extremely competitive, particularly in the current market conditions. Yep. These types of tenders provide guaranteed revenue, a guaranteed revenue flow, and they provide it for a number of years. So. uh, yeah, interesting times. Uh, geez, imagine if our politicians had to start travelling around on Tiger Airways,
1: Grant. Oh, we could only dream. That would be hilarious, seeing one <laughs> yeah. of them standing there with his shoes in his hands. you like, that's ever going to happen.
0: <laughs> How fitting. Maybe, maybe I could potter up in a Cessna to Canberra occasionally and transport
1: our Prime Minister around. <laughs> I think there's a few people uh, flying BBJs who'd have something to say about that and the challenges. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've got to watch out
0: for those guys. They've got uh, they've got fighter
1: jets so they can chase you with. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Now, the um, the government's hoping to save, as as commented here, um, the finance minister wants to save millions of dollars a year by using its purchasing power to secure better travel deals. Well, this is making Virgin quite excited because they've been trying to crack into the Canberra market. Um, the government uh, has the rule that 25% of all traffic out of Canberra must be uh, on non qantas airlines uh, just to keep things going. Well, Virgin's going to be trying to get more of the entire package now of course Uh, Mm. so yeah they're hoping to be a major beneficiary of it but as you said it's definitely going to be very very cutthroat to get that
0: Mm. Qantas is uh, quoted here as saying that they're well positioned to respond to the government's tender given its extensive network and schedules, that probably is a good point to make uh, you know They probably operating into some of the more remote areas With Qantas Link and, and other contracts they've got in place For some of the more remote areas uh, Virgin Blue and particularly Tiger Just won't be able to compete in some of the more remote areas So that's
1: that's probably a reasonable point for them to make Not under the one tail colour But uh, there's nothing stopping Virgin Blue And Rex getting pretty close together on this uh, And some of the other more regional airlines And don't forget Virgin's also got their uh, Embraer jets That they're the E-170, E-190 Ones that they're able to uh, fly in to smaller but still jet capable a- airstrips but uh yeah if they did a deal with rex i'm sure they uh they could uh make life pretty good for themselves
0: so qantas is you know obviously from a from a spin perspective is is trying to sand upbeat about this but um, you know as uh, JP Morgan uh, the analysts there are saying uh, Qantas they've got the most to lose from this so yeah they're really going to have to probably tighten their belts even further if they want to uh, you know maintain the market share they've obviously already got
1: indeed that's definitely going to have to happen but uh, it's an interesting world in Qantas and uh, there's way more to Qantas than mechanical and uh, financial issues and uh picking up routes and tenders and so on there's also the whole aspect of of uh, what's known as the Qantas Travel Insider website, uh, which I was fortunate enough to recently interview Carla Courtney, who runs the Qantas Travel Insider. And uh, she looks after the online website, their blog, and uh, their Twitter feed. And uh, we were able to sit down recently a few weeks back when i was up in sydney for the uh, for the aviation summit meeting uh, the conference and uh, i was able to get a few minutes of carla's time to interview her about it so here's here's a discussion on a completely different part of uh, the quantus environment than we normally report on
3: Um, My joke is that I'm from Geelong, but obviously I'm not. I'm actually from uh, the east coast of Canada. I was born in Toronto and grew up um, in Newfoundland and went to high school in Toronto. So I I have a print background, so I started out editing shipping magazines and then moved on to editing a print travel series based out of Melbourne. Um, my personal interest in travel come, goes back to when I was six, when I started flying between Toronto and Newfoundland by myself. And since then, I've went to uni in Heidelberg, Germany, and then moved and worked in London, England, and went on a vacation to Melbourne and fell in love with it and decided that we had to move here. So, yes. And being from Canada and living here, I do, do quite a few long-haul flights every year. So I kind of have to like flying whether I like it or not.
1: I have only spent a little bit of time in Canada, but my partner's lived there for a while, and I'm, I'm told Canada and Australia are quite similar, and, and Canada's closer to Australia in terms of behaviours and so on than, than the US is.
3: Um, that probably is somewhat true. I guess we're both Commonwealth countries. We've got a lot of space and not a lot of people, so we're kind of laid back and chill and have that little odd British edge that comes out in certain ways like having the queen on the back of our coin and but you know the pub culture the relaxed culture I think that's definitely true
1: Have you done any other blogging and online kind of worlds before you picked up the Travel Insider gig?
3: Um, like I said my background more comes from print but one of my first online jobs and this was back in 2000 was with World Vision Canada so this is when they were just starting to develop their site so I worked a bit on their online content strategy um, wasn't blogging but more just articulating what World Vision does and making that suitable for the digital space, uh, my husband is really involved in digital, and he's had a blog for quite some time. So, I've contributed and helped him with that, and I recently started my own blog. But yeah, my background was definitely more print than digital before I did this.
1: Travel Insider began uh, late in 2008. Uh, was the was the blog an add-on, or did it was it there from the start?
3: Yeah, the the Travel Insider site is. I guess a sort of content portal that's hosted by Qantas.com and the blog was a part of that since the beginning so I run the whole Travel Insider site and the blog is just one little part of my job but yes so um, yeah the blog has been there from the beginning but it's really grown because I guess I've got to kind of be reactive with the blog to the types of destinations and content that I think users might be interested in and I do that by looking at the articles across the site that are getting the most traffic through Twitter to see what destinations people are are interested in and just kind of following current events and things that are happening. So, for example, Qantas launched a flight direct to Buenos Aires and that alone just sparked a lot of renewed interest in Buenos Aires as a city. So we made sure to get more stuff up on the blog like that. So, yeah, but the blog's been there from the beginning. It's just kind of grown and evolved since...
1: How were you recruited into the role? How did, how did they pick you up? Did you fall into it or were, you, were they targeting someone? How did you, you start here?
3: Um, well, I luck, but no, I was working in Melbourne and I was, I guess I'm really interested in travel and publishing and it's hard to land good jobs in that, obviously. There's few and far between. Um, I saw this ad come up and I simply responded to it. So I came up to Sydney and I moved up to Sydney for this job from Melbourne. So yeah. You can find things on Seek and get a job, I guess, is a lesson I learned.
1: (laughs) Excellent. Yes. And that was a plug for (laughs) seek.com.au. Okay. Uh, Is it just you working on Travel Insider Online?
3: Um, I guess I'm the hub. I get a lot of support from Qantas. So I work with their uh, customer or their online experience manager, Nicole Leeson. And I work with writers around the world. So the blog is, I guess I kind of... I do some writing myself I manage the type of content that we need and then I commission writers around the world and I also work with the in-flight magazine team so a lot of the content from the in-flight magazine goes up on Travel Insider and I work with their editor and their art director and things like that so yeah.
1: Okay cool I I was going to ask actually if um, how much of the content wound up on Dead Tree as opposed to purely online.
3: Travel Insider was given a different name than the magazine quantity australian way for a reason and that's because we wanted to focus on destinations and make it a really useful resource to help people plan their trips that's based on the content that quantity australian way provides so i select articles from the magazine that do provide travel tips and to be honest most of them do there's just certain ones that might be left out for example the motoring piece because that doesn't really fit within the realm of how you plan your trip but yeah so a lot of the content does come from the australian way and then a lot of web specific content comes from the blog or just me generating content by traveling, interviews or sourcing it from people who are out on the road.
1: Okay, so let's talk about your readership and traffic levels. Uh, How's how's traffic going on the blog? Is it uh, running steady, increasing? Where's it at?
3: I don't know how um, much or little I'm supposed to say about the page impressions on the site, but the site has definitely generated a lot of interest. I'd say our traffic numbers have doubled since we've launched in November. Um, we do receive upwards of about forty to 50,000 unique visitors a month as of a couple months ago. So, yeah, it's going pretty well. It's like it's, it's hard, I guess, because even though Qantas is a known brand, Qantas Travel Insider and Qantas as a content provider as opposed to purely transactional is kind of a new idea. So even though people are already coming to Qantas.com, it's still a new idea to think that, oh, we can now also trust Qantas as providing quality travel advice so that's why um the qf travel insider twitter hander is so valuable to us because it's allowed me to kind of enter the digital space and spread the awareness that we're here to share travel trips and talk travel destinations with you and this isn't just a purely commercial site there is also just an editorial home as well there
1: yeah, I, I can't talk about volume. I think your volume easily exceeds every, the vo, combined volume of every single blog I have anything to do with, including this podcast. Um, so, yeah, that's that's doing pretty well there. How do you go with um, an online community, the community of commenters? I noticed that to comment there, you've got to be a Qantas Frequent Flyer member. No, no one else can comment?
3: As of At the moment, no. I don't. I'm not sure. I guess the decision is just based on the fact that it's an add value to the existing community of frequent flyers that are already on the site. I can't comment on whether or not that will change in the future, but I guess it it, it is a beard entry, not just that you have to be a frequent flyer, because, I mean, there are 6 million of them from what I understand, so it's not that limiting, but I guess you've got to... I don't know my frequent flyer number off by heart so sometimes I think a bigger thing is just wanting to say something quickly and not having the number on you to log in but um so beyond the commenting on the flight on the site for frequent flyers we also use some of the feedback that we get from Twitter and if you've noticed on the blog I'll do a your travel tips thing so we'll ask people questions on Twitter say, where's your favorite place to have breakfast? I've, it's, we've been really good. We usually get quite a few responses and we ask it and then we share them on the blog with everybody. This is what people think is the best place to eat around the world. This is the best views around the world, the best museums around the world, things like that. So, um, yeah, I guess we just try and use the different social media platforms we're involved in, which right now mainly is Twitter and then the, the blog itself to kind of feed each other and drive traffic through the two platforms.
1: Do do you find that that community is is growing um, over time? Uh, you're, You're getting more and more comments logged by frequent flyers?
3: Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, like, it's just a matter, the longer that we've been online and the longer that it's been going on and the more interaction that we've done through Twitter, um, I've definitely seen an increase in comments on the site and also comments in Twitter and our followers growing as well. We haven't promoted the Twitter account at all, apart from small plugs on the Travel Insider site. The, in our next month's newsletter, we will be having a call to action to follow us on Twitter for people but um yeah so we've you know we've grown to about 2600 followers just by you know I followed a couple people in the beginning that seemed to be key travel writers and then some of my friends and we've just grown organically over the past couple of months so it's been really good
1: so what's what's the future for Qantas Travel Insider what online and so on the blog and everything Twitter what what do you see coming in the future Facebook anything else
3: funny that you say that because we do have a Travel Insider Facebook app launching quite soon. I know that Facebook apps have kind of I feel like they've had their heyday in some ways because purely more because of the design of Facebook, they're much less prominent now but... Um, I'm actually quite impressed with the build of the app and I do see it being quite useful. It feeds; it has an XML feed that brings in content from Travel Insider but then it also invites you to share and saves it into that app on Facebook as well and then invites when your friends log it, you can see everybody else's tips that they've shared. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. I, like I said, I'm pretty impressed with the functionality of it so it's just a matter of making sure people know that it's there. Um, Yeah, we're open to lots of things. I've explored the use of Flickr because of, I guess, the importance of travel photography and how galleries do really well on the site. It's a great way to research your trip, getting to see what places look like. So, you know, encouraging people to share their things through Flickr galleries and then being able to get some user generated content from that. Um, And yeah, I think we're pretty open. like. With a lot of these platforms, I guess you have to have a reason to be there, and it can't just be commercial. And having a site like Travel Insider gives Qantas a reason to be in these places. So I think it's just a matter of me having the time and have you know to be able to kind of maximize um these sorts of web 2.0 platforms but yeah there's lots of lots of potential we're we're thinking about lots of different things like that so it's good
1: do you have any fun stories about travel insider and such even if at the time they probably weren't that fun but looking back they are now
3: well, look, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but um, yeah, like I'm, I guess my day to day when I'm not on the road is I'm at my desk and I'm spending time researching and commissioning and gathering content for the site. And one part of the blog is ask the crew, where we invite people to ask Qantas um, flight attendants questions about it, which I think is really great because it puts a new angle on it. And um, we've got a couple regular cabin crew members who are on board out there answering questions while they're on the road. And I think sometimes from that we do get quite a lot of funny questions there's no no such thing as a bad question or a wrong question but some just very bizarre and very specific questions that people expect that somebody (laughs) that the cabin crew might be able to answer I don't want to say it in case somebody who asks a question (laughs) listens to it but specific stuff like I want to rent a house on this road in this place in this time and it's kind of trying to I guess um respond to those types of requests and deal with all those sorts of things can be kind of funny sometimes so yeah like I said, it's a, it's your, you always run into funny situations and um, questions and things when you're dealing with lots of different people and uh, trying to produce quality editorial. So.
1: What else are you doing outside the uh, Travel Insider site?
3: I am a, I not. I want to say I'm a renaissance woman because it sounds really braggy, but I'm a woman who does a lot of things. So I do have my own blog, The Frequent Buyer, which has nothing to do with what I do for Qantas apart from the fact that I suppose it's related to my travels. The Frequent Buyer being a play on words. Obviously I fly a lot, I travel a lot, and a lot of my travels are based around shopping and spending money. So that sort of what that's all about Um, I do a lot of photography so sometimes a lot of that does come out you'll see that a lot of that online and I do work with some other websites within ACP that's the company that publishes the InFlight magazine and um, I'm one of the co-producers of a bicycle film festival in Sydney so I'm mainly doing some of the creative stuff behind that there's a team of five of us who are all working to bring the films that were curated in New York but we're also getting some local content putting together some art shows and trying to raise awareness for cycling so i'm promoting air travel and i guess i'm offsetting doing my carbon offset by promoting um bicycles as well so yeah
1: so anything you want to say about airlines and aviation and flying in australia from what you've learned while you've been here
3: I guess one thing that I've learned about flying within Australia has actually shown a big difference between Canada and Australia, in that Australians are a lot more laid back. I don't mean that by security, because obviously, you know, com- arriving in the country, you go through customs and you get your bag. But I really value the fact that I can show up 20 minutes before a domestic flight and get on. Even in Canada, in domestic flights, we do they do close the flights I think an hour and that's it, But and that's where we're used to. But here, flying between, you know, when I have a flight going down to Melbourne, which I do quite often, as long as I'm checked in online and I don't have any luggage, I can leisurely show up to the airport, go through security and catch my flight. So I really value that. And um, yeah, I think it's tough. I really, traveling a lot in the U.S., the U.S. has the big, when you think of the amount of cities that they've got to connect and I just think the frequency of flights between Melbourne and Sydney and how easy it is to fly to even some really remote, destinations in Australia sometimes amazes me that 20 million people and then visitors can support that amount of air travel so yeah like I said I value the laid-back nature of it and I value the amount of destinations that are covered by the domestic carriers so yeah it's good.
1: Is there anything else that I haven't asked you that you'd like to say well you've got this opportunity?
3: Yeah, I really appreciate all these opportunities. I guess, you know, starting, I don't, like I said, I don't work for Qantas, but I do represent Qantas. So I guess to customers, in a sense, I do because I am representing a part of the brand. And um, it's been a really amazing opportunity and it's been really exciting to see how much traction that an airline can get by simply being on Twitter and interacting with people. So, yeah.
1: Thanks very much. Carla? That's That's been wonderful and I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to come and chat with me and uh, eventually we'll have you up on the uh, plain Crazy podcast.
3: No worries. Thank you very much.
0: And uh, thanks Grant for that interview. That was a, uh, really, really interesting. Interesting to hear about how social media is really starting to play a, a much more significant role in the way even you know legacy carriers as we were talking about like quantus it's obviously becoming a much much more important factor in their marketing
1: strategy for sure oh indeed and uh it was a lot of fun hanging out with carla and having a chat with her and appearing on the uh the panel later on at the tweet up that was a, a lot of fun
0: yeah and we've got another interview that uh, a little bit later on that grant also recorded as a result of that uh, meetup so uh, we'll play that a little later but uh, now we're going to go on and talk about our good friends grant at you guessed it tiger airways Wow now, Tiger Airways. Sorry, that was probably the wrong kind of thing for Tiger, wasn't it? it was oh, dear. Yeah, we, Growl. Like, what, Growl. What I Growl. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to find a sound effect for that, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> you can't keep using me. <laughs> well, as we've reported in uh, previous episodes, Tiger Airways doesn't have exactly the largest fleet, and that's going to create problems with them because they've encountered a bird strike recently at Adelaide Airport, according to an article in Adelaide Now by Sam Rodriguez, a uh, flock of galahs, no less.
1: <laughs> of, all, of all the birds to take
0: Oh, out. boy, it doesn't that lead to so many jokes? But anyway, we won't go there.
1: Oh, oh, oh to... I'm biting my teeth about
0: Galar's management. Yeah, OK. Uh, passengers on flight 882 to the Gold Coast were delayed for more than two hours when the Airbus hit Galar's while preparing to take off at about 7.30 in the morning.
1: Yeah, it hadn't even left the runway. It was uh, obviously prior to V1 when it uh, had the hit.
0: Yeah, so uh, it looks like the aircraft sustained some engine damage. Uh, it had to come back to the terminal and deplane passengers and, yeah, the airport fire service got a bit of a run so that would have made them happy
1: yeah yeah they had a bit of smoke coming from the plane there was some debris left on the runway they had to close that for a bit to get all the parts uh so yeah there's nothing quite like uh, accelerating down the runway and getting ready powering down and all of a sudden nope, <laughs> everything gets hung out and the brakes get thrown on and that's it shut it down
0: yeah of course bird strike is not a yeah you know, an, an uncommon thing to happen of course we all know about the famous uh, Hudson River one over there in New York recently you know this is also an Airbus uh, A320 but uh, like Grant said this one didn't leave the ground so it uh, be interesting to see how Tiger would have coped with that uh, if it had needed major maintenance because um, most of their major maintenance is done by John Holland in Melbourne so uh, if the aircraft was stranded over there in Adelaide uh, that would have uh, created some logistical problems for them.
1: Yeah if you if you wind up stranded well they could probably organize uh, while John Holland does most of it in Melbourne I'm sure they've got uh, deals with groups around the country to, for just these kind of incidents but uh, of course the joke going around at one point was uh, they had to close the runway to to go and pick up the remains of the birds and take them down to catering. Oh dear. Don't worry, mate. We make that joke all the time down at Avalon. It's, you see a, a rabbit racing across, heading towards the Jetstar. It's like, quick, call catering.
0: Sometimes I think, you know, just a little bit too much about the way the, airplane, the airline industry works in this country. It's, it's rather disturbing,
1: Grant. <laughs> <laughs> I just get to hang with a fun larrikin kind. <laughs> but hey, speaking of uh, the worst side of aviation, uh, we've also got the article here about uh, Australians revealing their worst airline. This is by Angela Sorin at news.com.au. And surprise surprise, Tiger voted least favourite. Um, Australians have voted Tiger Airways their least favourite airline uh, according to Choice magazine. It got lo- ranked lowest with a 55% satisfaction rate. Choice
0: magazine, who are they? According to the Plane Crazy Down
1: Under podcast, we were there first, Grant. Yeah, oh, Indeed, indeed. We've been uh, complaining, I'll use the polite phrases, um, about what it's like to fly on Tiger. Look, I've, I've got to say, Tiger are at least taking steps to improve their, their addressing issues as they're arriving, and they are getting better it's not hard to improve when you're down that low but you know they are getting better they're not staying down the bottom and doing the Ryanair Eh, you pay nothing screw you hippie we're not giving you any service which is the Ryanair way they're, they're actually starting to take steps and try and improve their act but uh, they have a way to go according to this survey
0: it says here that uh, Jetstar was the lowest ranking airline for international satisfaction with 53% uh, Qantas was the second lowest with 59 and Virgin Blue was the third worst with 65
1: oh my god now that's really Really interesting because for Qantas to come in just not far above its lo- discount airline when a full service airline comes in second lowest on international airline ratings that's really not good.
0: Yeah, and I uh, interestingly enough when they're talking about international airlines, I'm sure I read somewhere I don't know whether it was this article it was probably another one that uh, Singapore Airlines was rated the best. So talk about yin and yang because you know you've got Singapore Airlines which uh, which owns Tiger Airways predominantly. So you know that they're yeah. on, on the one hand they're rated the best but they're their, their uh, ultra low-cost offshoot is voted the worst so
1: i guess the singapore girl just hasn't crossed the aisle and come down to work with the tiger oh geez i wish she would
0: <laughs> okay and speaking of all things uh, jetstar and low-cost airlines uh, another article that we just popped up tonight from a website called look at vietnam.com grant uh, talking about jetstar operating up there in asia and jetstar pacific
1: Yes, that's right. Jetstar Pacific. It was previously known as Pacific Airlines, and uh, in May 2008, it uh, operated as Jetstar Pacific after organizing a very tightly cooperative agreement with uh, Jetstar Airways, the uh, one we love from Qantas. Uh, So they started using the Jet and Orange Star logo. They put Jetstar all over things, and there's now concern in Vietnam that uh, they may be trying to represent themselves as Jetstar rather than as Jetstar Pacific.
0: So the headline screams here is Jetstar Pacific violating Vietnamese law.
1: So. They apparently got uh, approval from uh, various Vietnamese government agencies to use the three brand names of Jetstar, Jet with an orange star, and Star Class. But uh, CAV, which is the unit of the Ministry of Transport that regulates commercial airlines within Vietnam, uh, reportedly believes that their continued use of their logos may cause people to confuse the Vietnamese airline with the Australian one. So, yeah, getting kind of interesting over there. This is not... This is... Not specifically Jetstar that we talk about a lot, but it's uh, the Jetstar Pacific Group.
0: You know, the Vietnamese government, they're emphasising here that Jetstar is only authorised to serve cities in Vietnam within the framework of a Vietnamese-Australian bilateral aviation agreement.
1: Which is Ho Chi Minh uh, City.
0: Yeah, Ho Chi Minh City. So... And again, I mean, how silly do they think people are? I mean, surely, you know, I think there's a bit too much placed on this logo stuff at times, you know, really. I mean, if you were in Vietnam and you were flying from anywhere else but Ho Chi Minh City, I mean, you would have to know that you weren't flying on Jetstar.
1: Well, I don't know, mate. You Have a look at this photo here and there's a nice pretty picture of a tail of a Jetstar Pacific aircraft. And, mate, that says Jet and Star just like the Aussie ones do. And unless you look further up the fuselage where it says Jetstar Pacific, you know, you you could be, you know, I think some people could be fooled into thinking, hey, it's the Australian airline, they're flying here, and we all know Australian airlines are way better than our local ones, so yay, let's fly them.
0: Well, you know, Grant, really, I mean, you know, if people can't be airline enthusiasts like the rest of us, watching the matter with them? Just have a look at that tower number, Victor November. It's not an Australian registration.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is always that. Well, you know, hey,
0: we're Victor Hotel, they're Victor November. Eh, well, you know. Works for me, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we ought to leave that one alone before we offend anybody else. <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: what's one more group that we offend? I mean, we do pretty well. <laughs>
0: Now, Grant, of course, our stated aim on this podcast is to not only comment on stuff in Australia, although, of course, being based here in Australia, it follows that most of our articles are going to uh, cover Australian stories, but uh, we also are trying to concentrate on some stories from around the region and uh, some aviation personalities, I guess, from around the region.
1: And uh, you've uh,
0: recently had a meet-up and an interview with uh, one such person.
1: That's right, uh, Shashank Nigam, who runs the Simpler Flying blog. He's uh, based in Singapore, uh, but he's uh, pretty much of a world traveler he uh, gets around quite a bit and one of his travels brought him to Melbourne recently and then up to Sydney for the uh, Asia Pacific uh, Aviation Summit that I was uh, up in Sydney for as well and uh yeah, Shashank's a really cool guy. We had a lot of fun hanging out and uh, also catching up again up in the conference area. Uh, we actually put on a combined uh, simpler flying and playing crazy down under tweet up where uh, we got a whole lot of people together, um, had some drinks and nibbles. And we put on a quick, uh, quick panel, which was uh, Carla Courtney, who we just heard before myself and phil from uh, pacific blue uh we were discussing web 2.0 social media and aviation and uh yeah it was great and it was i'd love to say it was my idea but shashank was the guy who said hey why don't we do this and uh between the two of us we put it together but it was mostly his driving and energy that made it happen the guy is really a lot of fun and uh, he's got some great ideas about uh marketing and branding in the aviation world in the modern day and uh yeah this interview was actually recorded after he had returned home from the conference uh we never really got a chance to sit down and, and record an interview like i did with carla but uh yeah this this one's pretty interesting and it uh covers his views on a lot of areas and what he's doing with his Simply flying blog hey this is grant mccarran from the plane crazy down under podcast and i'm here interviewing shashank Nigam from uh, the simply flying blog how are you going shashank
4: very good, Grant. Thanks for doing this call at such late hour in Melbourne, and it's good to be talking again.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, this is definitely the interview that uh, we should have done while we were together, but never really quite got the time.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yes, you had Carla awaiting you, so I thought that took higher priority.
1: Yeah, there was there was Carla to interview, and there was um, the thing the tweet-up to go to. And, uh, yeah, when we weren't up there, we were too busy running around getting up to mischief down here.
4: Oh, yes, exactly. That actually went quite well, don't you think?
1: Yeah, no, it was really good. Uh, the the tweet-up was awesome. The uh, the session in Sydney in general was pretty good. You, your talk seemed to go pretty well. And uh, your time down here in Melbourne was a lot of fun. We tried to squeeze in some level of aviation for you as well as a bit of tourism with your friend.
4: <laughs> oh, absolutely. It went It went fantastic with the... With this flight simulator that I tried, that was good, and the balloon ride that almost
1: was—the the one where you got to see it in the bag on the trailer—exactly,
4: <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and being in front of the MCG in freezing winter for some reason at 6 a.m. or 5 a.m. whatever whatever it was.
1: Yeah, it was it was kind of early. It wasn't that cold. It was you know somewhere around. One to three degrees. It hadn't gone negative.
4: Yeah, I mean, not as bad as my Boston days.
1: Well, let's let's kick off the uh, interview. Uh, first of all, I'd like to know about you. Uh, tell us about yourself. What you've studied, where you've worked, your background and experience with branding, uh, the books you've written, all that kind of stuff. Give us a background around Shashank.
4: Wow, what what I've studied. I studied in Singapore and in the U.S. at Singapore Management University and then at Carnegie Mellon. I did a a degree in information systems management and in business management. And after that, for a couple of years, I was working in Boston at an IT company which sort of competes with Google, it's in the search space. And then I got bored of that because I was too interested in planes, and that's how Simplifying came about. And the other side thing that had happened earlier was I had written two books on branding while I was in college with a professor of mine. So there was an inherent interest in branding and planes, which I love to watch and try to identify the models. And that grew on me while I was in wintry Boston in February, where it would get really dark and I'm trying to fill up my time. And I was trying to read articles at my two intersections of the interests, airlines and branding. And guess what? I I found a couple of articles on the internet and I realized that there were companies like Interbrand or Futurebrand, which were doing branding for everything from Starbucks to Coke to planes. And there were airline consulting companies in the world which focused more on airline as a transport. So more on the operational stuff like network planning and routes and fuel hedging and the operational stuff. And I thought, you know what, let me just start simply flying the block. That's when it started and start doing three case studies on airline brands per week, which still go on till date and till date I've done over 220 case studies on airline brands on simplifying wow. which, yeah which have been read like over 200,000 times
1: excellent so so what year did you start simplifying?
4: February 2008
1: okay cool mm-hmm. okay now something I, I know that you've produced is the uh, 6 times branding model is that how you pronounce it? it's 6x
4: airline branding okay. model
1: yeah. so the 6x branding model um, can you tell us about that?
4: yeah I realised about four to six months into doing simplifying and these case studies that I was doing, that branding for airlines, for the airline industry is pretty different from branding for other industries. For example, you have things like weather, which affects, which is not in the control of the airline, but directly affects brand perception of the airline. You have aspects like um, brand captiveness, which is generally how long the customer is engaging with the brand. Generally, for a can of Coke, it's about two minutes or maybe five minutes. For a Starbucks coffee, it's about 20 minutes to maybe one hour. But for an airline, it can be anything from two hours to 22 hours, depending on the time of the flight and the duration of the flight. And that means you, the airline has their customer captive, and they got to leverage on it. And airlines weren't really doing this. And hence, I thought, why not come up with the with guidelines which for branding which apply to airlines and the, hence the 6x branding model which has aspects everything from the brand expression which is how airline interacts with customers before, during and after the flight to brand externalities where is how they deal with things like weather or things like a competitor going bust and passengers stranded on the airport. How do they deal with that and all of that forming brand perception. Yeah, the good thing was that interbrandsbrandchannel.com published it in July last year and that's when I started taking myself a bit more seriously. I'm like, probably making a bit of sense here. So I (laughs) (laughs) sent it out to a few airline executives, started getting some feedback from them and it's grown much bigger since then. Okay, and the
1: model has survived contact with reality, yeah?
4: Yeah, that, that was the thing. I mean, the first initial feedback I got from airline execs was, "Oh, you know what? This is great. This is very good theoretical stuff, and professors speak sort of difficult to apply to what we do." And that's when social media came to my rescue because a lot of airlines were looking to get into it at that time. Didn't really have a clue on how to do it right. Everyone was trying their, you know, trying their luck. And I was like, "This is a good way to, you know, to get the rubber to hit the road." And social media became my tool to put airline branding in effect in, in airlines and airports and aviation-related
1: companies. How are you going about marketing yourself and establishing and maintaining your credibility?
4: Oh, it's it's a bunch of things. I mean, I do interviews like these with very credible folks like you. I <laughs> <laughs> often get quoted in the press. Like the, late, the latest was on CNN. In fact, CNN Travel quoted me on an article on travel and social media and i've been on cnbc so those traditional media certainly help and most of all i mean the biggest thing for credibility is your ideas make sense and i share these using a few mediums one is simplifying the blog itself i mean on simplifying.com you still get three articles per week on airline brands (laughs) and some of which generate quite a bit of discussion like the air india versus emirates article The other medium is, of course, Twitter. I mean, Twitter has been phenomenal in the sense I have met so many new people uh, whom I'm thankful to for just guiding me and coaching me and giving me feedback and just being very enthusiastic about what I do and I just learn a lot from them as well. And lastly, I speak at conferences. So at a number of aviation aviation conferences as well as marketing and branding conferences, I'm a regular speaker where I share my thoughts with key airline executives and branding executives and it's a very good sounding board as well.
1: What unexpected bonuses have you encountered thanks to simple flying?
4: <laughs> unexpected bonuses? I have made new friends from people whom I have never met. For example, you, whom I, th- I think we've known each other for like a month or two months maybe? Yeah, about that. Yeah, and we met on Twitter and we've been talking on Twitter on and off. And guess what, I was going to Sydney speak in Australia and two days before I was supposed to fly off I changed my whole program to go to Melbourne to meet you to even stay with you to hang out with your cool kid and have dinner with have fire dinner at your place go to the flight simulator and even go in a balloon which almost happened so that's I mean that's the value of Twitter priceless
1: (laughs) (laughs) everything else is MasterCard
4: exactly
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I I do understand what you're saying. The collateral bonuses of being involved in social media and aviation, um, new new media, those kind of things, and uh, do do seem to be quite unexpectedly wonderful.
4: Right, uh, right. And and the interesting thing is that when I get in front of airline executives, the credibility is boosted because I talk from a practitioner's perspective as opposed to a theorist who's trying to, you know, paint the world red. So. I can just go tell them, listen, these are the things I have tried personally for Twitter and here's what might work, here's what might not work. Here's something we've tried on our blog and here's what gets the traffic. So it's a very different conversation altogether.
1: Yeah, it's, you've come out of the ivory tower, so to speak.
4: That's right. And that's that's the reality check sometimes that they, they lack in that ivory tower in those big corporate offices. Okay, so so what
1: does the future hold for Simply Flying?
4: Oh, it's, it's very exciting. It gets exciting, more and more exciting every day, in fact. What, 10 minutes ago i was working on a book proposal on airline branding but i mean there are a bunch of key areas which we are looking to focus on one is the blog still remains as a means of sharing our thought leadership in the field on airline at the intersection of airline branding and technology uh, we have developed a sizable consultancy uh, unit where we work with airlines airports and tourism organizations around the world on their brand strategy on specifically using social media to have conversations with their customers we already have an office in singapore and a partner office in new york and the other area we're looking to branch into is training because i realize when i speak to airline executives first half of the conversation very often is about educating them about opening up their vision about the um you know the whole perspectives and the new things that they can do with social media So I was like, why not try to monetize this part as well? And now we are doing it pretty well because you have the trading and you have the consulting. Consulting is more the implementation as opposed to just producing reports. I don't believe in producing reports as much. And the trading part helps them get on to their feet. And once we leave, they can run away with it themselves. So we teach them how to fish as well.
1: You're actually setting them up and pushing them out of the nest, so to speak.
4: Absolutely, absolutely.
1: You were here in Australia for the uh, Asia-Pacific Aviation Outlook Summit 2009. You you were one of the presenters, weren't you?
4: Indeed, I did one of my keynotes, which was entitled Airlines 2.0, and how airlines can use social media for branding. It's available on simplifying.com as well.
1: Yeah, I've, I've flipped through that one. It was uh, seemed like a bit of a fun presentation, not just dry and boring. <laughs> yeah,
4: quite a change from a typical airline presentation, I would say.
1: Yeah, I think that's I think that's one of the differentiators that you've got going um, that helps you stand out and be recognised. Is that typical airline presentations are boring, monochromatic, point by point, monotone, produced. That kind of thing, yeah. All
4: right, there's there's some exciting stuff in between that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, good, oh good. That was the the question. Uh, what what did you get out of the conference?
4: Personally, I think I learned a lot. Um, things like legacy airlines around the world are dead, and things like the rise of Air Asia X, and things like Oman Air introducing. A business class that can fit Kobe Bryant and and a lot more I mean I had a lot of good interactions with key Aaron executives and got their mind um, got got into their mind about what they feel about social media and how they want to get into it and what the challenges that they're experiencing and it was interesting like the first half of the conference was a lot of doom and gloom, second half was more upbeat and ironically first half was um, mostly legacy carriers and second half was low-cost carriers where you had Qantas present the first day and Jetstar and AirAsia presenting the second day. So, interesting. yeah, if that goes for a trend analysis, so be it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: that's, 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 a, that's a bit of an off-the-cuff sh- off trend analysis there, yeah.
4: Yep, indeed.
1: <laughs> Our statistical sample is, is admittedly a little low, but... Uh... <laughs> yep. Was there anyone from Air India at the conference?
4: No, I think they're busy managing Air India itself.
1: Um, I I must say, uh, having read your uh, comments on Air India versus Emirates, uh, you're pretty brave, man. Uh, You you yourself are an Indian citizen, are you not?
4: (laughs) I am. I still hold an Indian passport and I'm proud Indian. And that's why I'm trying to say that, listen, guys, there's no point pumping all the taxpayers' money, trying to have good money, chase bad money. And you're trying to, well, you're trying to... Keep this airline afloat, which is Air India, which primarily carries carries politicians and bureaucrats and passengers who come in because of extremely cheap fares, which never seem to cover the costs. And, I mean, I think it's a futile effort. Might as well give all that money to private carriers like Airways, Kingfisher. They'll make some good out of it. And you've got Emirates with such high penetration, almost 200 flights out of India every day, every week. Um, that you probably can do away with there in India. <laughs> That's probably making you a, a targeted and
1: marked person next time you go back, right?
4: <laughs> well, I've, trust me, I've received feedback on that article which has been up to four pages long from a single person.
1: Yeah, it looks like you've hit a nerve there, mate. Um, well done. I do, I do think it needed to be said. And well done for saying it. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, let's, let's move on now, you spent uh, a few, like it was almost a week here in Australia, uh, this was your second visit, is that correct?
4: That's right, I'm quite, I have to say I'm in love with the country.
1: Yeah, because I was going to ask, how did you find your time here in Australia?
4: I loved it, loved it, I mean, the last time I went to Sydney, Brisbane and Gold Coast, this time I was in Sydney and Melbourne and I, I have to say I enjoyed this even more.
1: Do you have any specific comments regarding um, aviation in Australia and Australian Airlines? I think other regions around the world
4: can actually look at Australian aviation and take some lessons in innovation, at least the positives out of it. For example, um, going as far back as NZ going bust. When NZ went bust, the government did not try to keep it afloat by pumping in lots of cash and lots of money. Neither was Qantas forced to buy it. So in the end, when NZ went bust, Qantas picked up all the positive parts, all the money-making assets, and let go of the rest. That's one very good lesson in how to manage airline bankruptcies for airlines and governments around the world. If you look at the current scenario, you have Qantas and Jetstar, which are tag-teaming, I think, very well, because Jetstar offers Qantas a very low-cost base, and they can offer smaller planes and higher frequency, whereas Qantas can focus on high-yielding, long-haul business and other airlines around the world which are struggling with this concept you know high cost and what do we do about high frequency low traffic routes they can actually learn from Qantas dead start and of course who can miss virgin blue and v australia v australia of course is yet to prove its case but i think they've got a strong potential ahead given what virgin blue has already done to the australian market
1: yeah, no, Steve had a lot of good things to say about uh, V Australia. There were a couple of hiccups for him, but on the whole, uh, his experience with V Australia was pretty good. And another couple of friends of mine who, have, who are over in the US at the moment have said that it's pretty good to fly VOZ. So it's good to see people giving them a go. And uh, yeah, hopefully they'll help keep, uh, keep everything fair because uh, airfares have certainly decreased across the Pacific in the last uh, few months.
4: Right, right. So I mean, that's one thing that competition does. I mean, look at after introduction of Tiger Airways in Australia, I think fares dip drastically as well.
1: Yep, and uh, we've we've been commenting a little bit down here about how Tiger Airways are uh, starting to improve their uh, their game and they're stepping further away from the Ryanair model, whereas Jetstar seems to be trying to embrace the Ryanair model, which is quite interesting. Uh, like Virgin is, is no, never Virgin Blue is, is not at all like Ryanair. So, uh, Tiger cops some, some flack for not really giving any customer service.
4: That's right. Then they are like pretty strict policies about check-in times and things like that. So they got to change with the environment itself.
1: I mean, you can't get away with those strict policies on um, check-in time. It's just how you handle briefing people on them and, and reminding them of it, and they, they cop some flack for apparently not telling people when they closed flights, not warning them and things like that, and then not being around when when problems arose, but uh, they are taking steps to improve that, which is a wonderful thing to see. It can only help Tiger's market share go up.
4: Right, exactly. I mean, once you develop, see, there's a core product you cannot change much about, but you can certainly... Change the service delivery. So things like notification well in advance that the gate is about to close can certainly go in a long way in you know <laughs> saving the disgruntled passengers some trouble.
1: Now, now speaking of disgruntled passengers, I understand you had a little bit of fun here going from Melbourne to Sydney.
4: No, it was quite interesting actually. I was on a Qantas flight from Melbourne to Sydney, which is supposed to be a 50-minute flying time, and we were delayed by three and a half hours due to two aircraft problems. We changed aircraft thrice. So we boarded the first plane, which had to be sent to Perth because the plane that was originally going to Perth had a mechanical trouble. So we were offloaded and that plane went to Perth. The second plane we went into was dumping fuel oil and so on. So we boarded, waited on the tarmac, and couldn't take off. I mean, safety first, so that was good. And then we finally got onto our third plane. And this was a full 767 I'm talking about, not a small 737 flight. And we got on a third plane and finally got off ground and took off and landed in Sydney. So a bit of fun, but I think um, they handled it pretty well. I mean, the passengers who had connecting flights didn't were not uh, made to wait for all the three changes. They were sent out early and distributed to other flights. There, were, there was actually an unaccompanied child, a, a little girl, who started crying once we had changed plane twice and were told to go change plane one more time. And I think the stewardesses, the Qantas stewardesses did a very nice job. I was just standing there observing them. They were very motherly and trying to con- console that little girl and kind um, of make make her feel good. And I think she reached back fine.
1: I've got to say, it's it, your story there is it's like not something I've ever heard before of Qantas having those kind of problems. So. I was, I was quite surprised to hear that you'd taken four hours or so to get up to Sydney, uh, but it does sound like they managed to deal with the adversity reasonably well.
4: Yeah, I mean there was of course certainly people who were unhappy, there was this lady who was supposedly a very, very, very frequent flyer who was just, just cribbing all, all along and not happy. I mean, but I think sometimes it's the people who choose how they behave. I mean, I was just having fun chatting with all the crew there. On how to deal with the problems, so I was just learning a lot.
1: Yeah, it is. It is very much how people choose to deal with situations. That much is certain. So, in in that frame of mind, um, that's bring us to a close here. So, is there anything I've not asked you that you think I should have? Is there anything else you want to say?
4: Where I'm going next, maybe.
1: <laughs> where you you were saying earlier that you're um, when we're before we hit record that you're preparing some uh, some new travel plans. Just where are you going, sir? Uh,
4: quite an interesting bunch of months coming up in october just in october i'm going to be leaving from singapore for barcelona to speak at a conference and then to boston my ex hometown, to speak at another conference this time and it might include chris brogan the famous social media celebrity oh, cool. and then to abu dhabi to speak at an aviation conference then to los angeles and then to india so I was just getting done with my India domestic bookings and it's interesting how different sites are still offering very different prices on Indian domestic flights and there's a lot of work there to be done for transparency when it comes to that. So yeah, quite a bit of travel coming up and I'm really looking forward to that.
1: Yeah, indeed, that's, that's a lot of travel and a lot of conferences. So that's Barcelona, Boston, Dubai, Los Angeles, was that correct?
4: <laughs> that's right.
1: And then in India, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's right, it's going to be a fun year <laughs> you, must have, you must have racked up a few uh, frequent fly points
4: Yeah, but the thing I do is I burn them pretty fast So, like, yeah. on upgrades or on free flights Like, my whole Sydney trip was, well, literally free courtesy Qantas and courtesy Singapore Airlines So that was good Well, that's that's
1: excellent, well, well done for organising that <laughs> Okay, Okay, mate, is there anything else you wish to say
2: on this one?
4: Well, keep doing the great stuff that you're doing and I think you're doing a phenomenal job having this podcast run from down under and it gives us a very unique perspective and I'm really looking forward to getting into that balloon with you the next time I'm in Melbourne.
1: Definitely, mate. You come on down, we'll put you on a balloon over the city. You'll get a great view of Melbourne. (laughs) Fantastic, Grant. Thanks a lot.
0: Yeah, mate, so that was a really interesting interview, and uh, big thanks to Shashank uh, for spending the time to do that. I, uh, sorry. I'm uh, sorry I missed the opportunity to uh, meet him myself.
1: Yeah, it was just bad timing. Your, your schedule just didn't allow a uh, lock-up while he was here in Melbourne. But, uh, yeah, no, he had a, had a pretty good time and uh, here in Melbourne and in Sydney, and it was really great hanging out with shishank and we're remaining in touch so uh, who knows what the future may hold for catching up again but anyhow mate after quite a few pretty interesting segues in this uh episode so far I'm not really sure how to segue out of an interview with Shashank on uh, modern branding and airlines and our next item
0: yeah well uh, this one's actually quite a serious story and I guess in a way it's 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 in one way it's a sad story but on the other side of things it's actually uh, you know quite a positive story it's talking about uh, the re- repatriation to Australia recently of the uh, last missing Vietnam serviceman. yeah uh, uh,
1: I did mention this in an episode a while back while uh, I believe it was while you were in the US uh, we mentioned the the fact that they had, um, the RAF had finally located the remains of the last unknown and missing airmen from uh, from the Vietnam conflict uh, the RAF had done a lot of work to locate all their uh, dead and missing airmen and uh, this was the last crew that they, they had no idea where they were at and they finally managed to find the, the wreckage and the remains. So uh,
0: Flying Officer Michael Herbert and Pilot Officer Robert Carver,
1: uh, they were lost in 1970
0: and uh, they were only found very recently up in the uh, Vietnamese jungle they were uh, part of
1: Royal Australian Air Force number two squadron and uh, they were flying
0: a mission over Vietnam in a Canberra bomber
1: they went missing and uh, were found near the border with Laos uh, in the remote Quang Nam province and uh, the wreckage was only found uh, in April yeah so basically they're brought back and uh, they're uh, they're having separate funerals uh, one in Toowoomba and the one in um, in yeah, one in Toowoomba and uh, the one in Adelaide will actually have an F-111 fly past.
0: OK, so we wanted to thank uh, David Vanderhoof, the Airplane Geeks historian, for coming up. Uh, he went to quite some lengths to uh, research what happened uh, with that flight and uh, also some rather interesting data on the the Canberra bomber, which uh, we'll come to after we've uh, been through this bit, and I'll explain why that is uh, in a minute. So uh, the aircraft was operating over the Da Nang area on a nighttime bombing raid. It was flying as call sign Magpie 9-1, uh, flying off Sir uh was controlling and he uh, last reported that he was flying at 22,000 feet, having just released his bombs over a target under the under the direction of the United States Air Force, uh, not the United States Marine Corps, as was previously reported. Uh, Captain Bill Hannig was working from an operating location located at Fubai, and his call sign was Milky. Acknowledging a transmission from the controller, releasing Magpie 91 at 20:22 20, hours, uh, no heading or direction was given, uh, the aircraft was not heard from again. Now, the standard procedure was for the aircraft to head east and then track south to Fan Rang, with the coordination of the us thirty. Air Rescue and Recovery Group and despite an intensive three-day search which saw the squadron fly 38 sorties, they were unable to uh, locate the aircraft. Uh, The aircraft at the time had flown a total of 4,193.35 flight hours at the time of its loss. Uh, Now in April uh, this year, the Australian Defence Investigation Team uh, located the wreckage in Thick Jungle in an extremely rugged, remote and sparsely populated area of Quang Nang province in Vietnam, which is up near the uh,
1: uh, Laotian border. That's that's a lot of research that he's that's pretty cool
0: yeah i apologize for my rather uh stilted reading of that but i just thought it was really interesting to get quite a detailed history on on the mission and when they were lost and um and how they were lost and actually david's actually also uh, come up with some rather interesting uh he's actually found some images of the aircraft which we might actually put on
1: our website if we can grant yeah definitely we'll include them in the show notes
0: yeah so uh, fantastic news that uh you know those those two airmen were found and uh, returned to back to australia and um fantastic for their families that uh, after all these years 1970 i mean you know it's it's a, a very very long time 39 years
1: yep that's uh, that's right it's been quite a while to get that final closure for the families and let them uh, have the final send-off pilot officer robert carver has uh is being buried in Toowoomba uh, with family, and while uh, Flying Officer Michael Herbert, who's from South Australia, is actually having a state funeral at, uh, in Adelaide, and there's going to be an F-111 fly past as part of that funeral. Uh, generally, what's, uh, these, in addition to the, the family aspects of farewelling a loved one and getting closure, this is also being treated as a um, remembrance of all airmen who have died during the uh, Vietnam conflict.
0: Now, the uh, Canberra Bomber is an interesting aircraft, a very sleek-looking one. Grant, there is one flying around as a warbird these days, and uh, that was actually pictured at the ceremony, I think, up at at Queensland there, where the C-130 brought the remains in, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah, um, I haven't actually seen that photo, but... uh that would be the uh, Tamora Aviation Museum's Canberra bomber. Uh, these are the guys we've spoken about just recently because they've just restored a uh, Sabre jet to uh, flying status, one of the Australian modified uh, CA aircraft, the CA-27. Uh, they also fly the uh, Canberra bomber from uh, from Tamora.
0: Now, I actually asked David Vanderhoof to... Uh Perhaps still a long-running, long, long running, well, maybe not an argument, but uh, a disagreement in what an aircraft type may be with um, some of my friends in the U.S. Now, at Little Rock Air Force Base in Jacksonville, Arkansas, they have on static display an aircraft which looks surprisingly similar to a uh, Canberra bomber now. uh, Oh, I think I know which one that is. Yeah, now we're, of course, talking about the uh, B-57.
1: Correct, the Martin B-57. I remember reading articles about them a long time back and uh, discovering that they were the American version of the Canberra bomber. Is that correct?
0: Yeah. um, Now, David says here that, uh, yes, I'm sort of kind of correct, and then maybe sort of kind of not correct. Uh, I remember the first time I saw uh, I saw this very well-preserved example of a B-57 on the Little Rock Air Force Base. I remarked to my U.S. Air Force host family, oh, look, there's a Canberra bomber. He says, no, that's a B-57B or an RB-57B, I think is what he said. And I said, no, that's a Canberra bomber. And so it went backwards and forwards. And it turns out that, you know, I sort of way we were both right. <laughs> says here that the main difference between the uh, B-57A and the Canberra, well, one was maybe English Electric, uh, and uh, these ones in the U.S. were licensed built by Martin, the Martin Aircraft Company. Yep. Yeah, basically, it looks to me like uh, the Pentagon required uh, that the U.S. version have U.S. engines, so the, uh, the Avon engines that were in the British version were replaced by Wright J-65s. It says here also that the uh, American version had a crew of two, and the U.K. version had a crew of three, so...
1: There you go. Yeah, you can see in some of the cutaway drawings of the Canberra, you'd have a side-by-side cockpit and people sitting behind, a position for someone to sit behind, things like that. But yeah, the the Americans were quite impressed with the performance and capabilities of the Canberra. When the British were demoing it to to them, they uh, could not believe that the aircraft was capable of doing what it did, so they definitely wanted to get a few.
0: And if you want to know just how uh, thorough David Van is in his research, uh, this is what he says about the Royal Australian Air Force version. What the RAF flew was a Canberra B20 the B20 was licensed built by the government aircraft factory or GAF as we know it here yep. a really original name there he says <laughs> Uh, basically he said it's a licensed Built B6 version So the B6 slash B20 differed from the B2 In the following ways Increased range uh, and increased fuel By the addition of additional tanks in the wings it, all had, it also had uprated engines The Avon RA3 Mark 101 Engines were replaced with the RA7 Mark 109s. Now uh, that's very very detailed so, so and, he <laughs> fin- and he concludes his email here Grant, so, By saying so to make a long email short A Canberra is a Canberra Except when it's a B57 B57BC d e g canberra so <laughs> <laughs> i just thought that was interesting and so i guess that uh, in an odd sort of way settles a 20-year disagreement
1: <laughs> uh, you can always count on david to give you a lot of facts and information it's that's great i'm very impressed with the level of uh, of detail done there and that's a, that's great researching
0: uh yeah so you can also uh, catch david each week on the airplane geeks podcast and if you want to email him it's airplane at gmail.com OK, now we're moving on to another story here, and this uh, is talking about a plane crash that happened up in Sydney with a Technam. Now, if you think this sounds familiar, well, you may be right, but uh, listen on and we'll tell you. <laughs> this
1: is a really interesting one. Uh, but, uh, for, in a very quick summary, the uh, interesting part is that a man flying a uh, Technam the, over the suburbs of uh, Sydney had, a, had to crash land in a park after he suffered engine failure according to uh, an article in the fairfield city champion a man walked away unscathed from the wreckage of a light plane which crashed in abbotsbury this morning eyewitnesses told the champion came down around 10 a.m in the western sydney parklands in front of teachers and students from freeman catholic college police ambulance and the fire brigade rushed to the scene of the emergency landing but college teacher greg king was first the plane moments after completing the high school's walkathon at the park
0: now can you imagine what the ambulance and fire crews said to the pilot when they first got their ground and first got on scene they would have said hey We know you, and they'd be and they'd be right because it's the
1: same pilot. That's right. We uh, (laughs) a while back, uh, I believe it was in episode six, we reported on a succession of landing incidents at Bankstown Airport in Sydney, and one of them was a pilot who um, overshot the runway at the end and uh, took out the nose wheel of the technom he was flying. Well, according to a source of ours, a friend of ours known as David Optimal, who's based out of Bankstown, the trainee pilot involved in the crash. Landing in the paddock uh, is the same person who went off the end of the runway. So he's taken out two technums in a about three weeks which is well less than three weeks
0: well i don't know what sort of uh, training that this uh, this particular pilot is engaging in but if it's uh, commercial training uh, mate i think you should consider a new career maybe try flying microsoft flight simulator for a while
1: well he's he's not having much luck i mean i'm not sure exactly what the, uh, the the cause of the first one where he overshot and took out the nose gear but this one was definitely a um an engine fault is what's being reported i'm still waiting to hear the full uh, story, but yeah, interesting it's the same guy. Maybe, um, I wonder what's going to happen to him on his third flight.
0: Well, all I know is that uh, either I want to be around there with a the camera or I don't want to be anywhere near the airport, but... Uh...
1: <laughs> I, I think this one can almost make uh, one of Courtney's whiskey tango foxtrot entries. Yeah, I think you might be right.
0: Maybe the guy is just extraordinarily unlucky if he's had an engine failure here. Um, yeah, I don't know what the cause of the previous crash was, although the, I think the last one he was actually on the runway at Bankstown, wasn't he, or somewhere close? Yeah, he was on the runway and um, overshot. Yeah, uh, okay. off the end. So but, uh, that's probably more an error in judgment. Um, uh, well, I guess we'll have to wait for the ATSB report to come out about that. But uh, yeah,
1: poor fella. Oh. Or, if the, hey, if the guy's willing to come on and have a chat with us, we're always willing to, to, have, a, to have a chat. As i got to say, I think the guy's got a bit of luck there. He's had two incidents and walked away from both, and one of them was the, the engine failure. And let's face it, an engine failure over Sydney is not exactly my favourite thing to happen. Fortunately, there was a lot of paddocks and grassland in the area to uh, affect uh, an emergency landing.
0: And in all seriousness, uh, the good part about this story is that the uh, the fella did walk away unscathed. So, uh, that's, you know, that's good. We don't uh, we don't wish any, any ill will towards the man, uh, so. So um, yeah, I'm glad that uh, he lives to uh, fly another day.
1: Indeed. Now, seeing if I can get back on my Segway. Here we go from uh, from a. Uh, no, I fell off my Segway again. <laughs> okay,
0: I'm, I'm just going to I'm just going to leave that in because it's funny. Oh, if it's
1: all right. Well, you know. Well. <laughs> okay, I'll uh, I'll see if I can uh, rebalance on my Segway. Here uh, we are. Staying within the relatively light aviation world around Bankstown, we have another report that happened uh, where a passenger had to fly a plane after the pilot passed out. A, um, it was reported in the ABC that the pilot of a 10-seater plane briefly fell unconscious due to a medical episode as he was preparing to land at Bankstown Airport. A quick-thinking male passenger radioed for help and assumed control of the aircraft. The pilot regained consciousness and managed to make a safe landing, and uh, he was taken to hospital for a medical assessment. The airport was closed, these kind of things. Uh, We've also got some additional information on this from a friend of ours based in Sydney who was able to be listening in to the whole incident and knows some of the uh, facts behind it. Um, Apparently the aircraft was fire scanning around New South Wales following some recent brush fires and um, the uh, passenger on board was actually an observer and uh, is a pilot but not rated for the aircraft. The aircraft in question is a uh, King Air, I believe. And um, apparently the, the observer kept very cool. Did a fantastic job, um, along with the air traffic controllers who were on uh, the two controllers uh, working the area. They uh, took the aircraft they took extra aircraft on frequency and cleared the inbounds for Sydney away from the affected aircraft, so uh, they did very well Uh, everything came together and uh, worked just as it should do, but uh, apparently it was a King Air and uh, the uh, passenger wasn't rated for the King Air but was able to fly it around for a while until the pilot recovered enough to land
0: Yeah, excellent, I mean, uh, you know, we jokingly say that it's every pilot's fantasy to be on an aircraft and, uh, you know, be called up is there anybody here who can fly the aircraft because, you know, all the pilots have passed out but uh, it's one thing to fantasise about that, sort of thing, and I guess most pilots have, but uh, probably quite another when uh, reality stares you right in the face like that. So yeah, excellent job there, and uh, uh, once again it uh, looks like we had a good result there, so um, yeah, it's, it's a week for good news from that standpoint.
1: Indeed, and uh, thanks to our uh, friends in Sydney for giving us some uh, extra detail that wasn't generally available.
0: And one last story just to uh, wind things up with this week, Grant, and it's an article that appeared in the Australian Business during the week, uh, talking about uh, some laws being changed to
1: prevent some inappropriate building on uh, air That's correct. We've spoken a number of times in the past about uh, how uh, airports such as um, Moorabbin and Essendon here in Melbourne are getting factories and DFOs and shopping centers built around them. And uh, up in Bankstown, they're doing the same kind of thing in Sydney. They're they're encroaching onto the runway and maneuvering areas, uh, shutting down whole runways and replacing spaces that were for aviation tenants with commercial tenants.
0: And I guess particularly with Bankstown, I mean, it's pretty central there in Sydney, isn't it? So that that it's uh, sitting on some prime real estate.
1: Oh, yeah. And they're also drooling over uh, the mascot area where uh, Sydney International Airport is, Kingsford Smith Airport, because that is definitely prime real estate area for people to to build on. But uh, guess what? There's an airport there, folks.
0: Yeah, so Federal Transport Minister uh, Anthony Albanese has warned against has warned the nation's privatized airports against inappropriate development on airport land and he's flagged some new regulations which will make it more difficult to build some projects.
1: Yeah, this is this is really interesting because uh, uh, the rules are being set up to target moves to build long-term residential facilities, aged or community care buildings, nursing homes, childcare centers, hospitals and schools on airport land.
0: What the hell
1: are these guys thinking?
0: Although I'll tell you what, mate, um, you know, when I'm in my retirement age and, and, and being put out to pasture, they can stick me in a nursing home at an airport. I'd be quite happy.
1: Yeah, that's that's called a residential airpark, mate, and that's fine. But the you know what they're putting here? They're they're putting they're, they're actually creating areas where people are going to bitch and moan and complain in five years that well, it's too noisy at this damned airport, or you know, or something fell off an aircraft and took out a childcare center it, it, it just it's nuts. Mm. I can't believe they're doing this.
0: There's a few local examples of all those things you're talking about down here in Melbourne. Now, uh, as I said, down there at Moorabbin Airport, once the government sold that airport off, and I believe one of the large insurance companies uh, has got the lion's share of that, or it did at the time, uh, a large parcel of that airport land at Moorabbin was sold off and turned into an industrial park. And in fact, there's a big uh, Coca-Cola factory at the end of runway 0422. Yep. And it's basically rendered that, air- that particular runway, which wasn't used that much, but still, it's basically rendered that air- runway unusable. I think on many levels, you know, we, we can't let too many of our airports be sold off. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's obviously, a, you know, th- that land has a high dollar value and it's obviously um, and it makes an attractive business proposal. But we can't we can't have our airports squeezed out like that. Uh, Melbourne Essendon is constantly being attacked by various lobby groups in that area who are yep. complaining about noise and, and such like, you know, why have we got this airport here? Uh, yeah. my, my attitude to that is, of course, well, you don't buy a house next to a
1: freeway and then complain about the noise. Hello. What mm. was there first? You, you, sometimes you just wish that people either in the media or the judges or whatever would just be willing to say, you're a dork. When did you move in five years ago? And the airport was here when? And the noise was here when? Hello? it's yeah.
0: that's exactly it my point. Uh, I mean... Uh, one airport in my local area that's now since disappeared, and that's uh, Casey Airfield out of Berwick, now doesn't exist. Berwick, at the time uh, the airport was there, was just a quiet little country town, and as suburbia has moved out and sort yep. of uh, absorbed Berwick into suburbia, I guess, uh, local residents started complaining about the airport and the noise from the aircraft there, and uh, what do you know, it Was the airport was sold, closed down, and there's now a university sitting on it, so... <laughs>
1: When you shut down the airport, you lose access to uh, convenience and, and so on.
0: So, yeah, I mean, that's 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 always been a bugbear of mine. Uh, obviously, you know, I, I guess I have a vested interest being a pilot and being interested in aviation. But, um, you know, uh, let's not sell too many of our airports off. We do need them. We've got to have somewhere to put our aircraft and we don't want to see general aviation squeezed out. And uh, let's face it, general aviation would be the, you know, the, the first sector of the aviation industry to suffer. Indeed. Uh, when this sort of thing happens. So, uh, yeah. If they were looking at selling off land at Bankstown, you know, for any other purpose other than something that's aviation related, well, you know, that's, uh, that's not a good outcome. So, uh, yeah, kudos there to uh, the federal government for uh, taking steps to stop that from happening.
1: The article talks a little bit about uh, the federal government's recent aviation green paper and how it highlighted the need for increased community consultation at airports and the need to make sure that are developed primarily for aviation uses. So, yeah, please let that sanity continue, uh, airports for aviation, and um, make it that make it so.
0: And yeah, Grant, that's it for the news this week. Uh, just before we finish up here, we're just going to have a look at a couple of websites that uh, some listeners have sent through to us, which are uh, local aviation websites, which yeah, we thought uh, were worth mentioning. The first one is one called uh, flybetter.com.au.
1: Yeah, that's right. This uh, uh, website is uh, from Noel Cruz. Uh, Noel's a um, retired wing commander and was formerly of Sydney Aerobatics, and uh, he was their chief flying instructor. And what he's done is he's created four books uh, about how airplanes fly and how best to fly them. And he's making them available free online. So if you go to flybetter.com.au and uh, his two of the books are out, uh, one on aerodynamics and other stuff and the art of aerial navigation, they're both available now. And the other two books on aeroplane handling and airborne instructional technique will be available shortly. So, uh, thanks to Chris for pointing that one out to us. We're, uh, just got on top of that one today and we're definitely going off to have a flip through those books and, um, Communicate with Noel further on about
0: them. Yeah, yeah, I'm certainly going to have a, a download and a good read of some of those. As someone who's uh, trying to get back into some practical flying, um, all these sorts of resources are great things and, you know, the one sort of pilot you never want to fly with is the one who thinks he knows it all. Uh, so, you know, these, these sort of publications are uh,
1: helpful not only
0: to student pilots but to, uh, you know, current and experienced pilots.
1: Definitely. And uh, the other website we've got here was uh, pointed out to us by... Uh, and one of our favourite listeners, Max Flight, uh, from the airplane. Oh, hey, yeah, I know. Again, another <laughs> airplane geeks person. Yeah, we've heard of Max. Um, no, Max let us know. Um, oh. Uh, about Owen's Up and his thereandback.com.au. Now, Owen is an Australian aviation uh, writer. He's also a pilot, uh, loves his flying, and he's going to undertake a flight around Australia raising funds for the Royal Flying Doctor Service. His site thereandback.com.au is where you can find out about uh, what he's doing, how he's going, where you can see who's sponsoring and maybe go and talk to him about sponsoring them yourself if you've got that kind of uh, corporate money going around. But uh, definitely a worthwhile flight. Uh, so if you can sponsor or help out, give me a yell. But check out there and back.com.au and uh, thanks to Max Flight for letting us know about
0: Yeah, that. thanks Max and uh, sh- for sure we um, are chasing Owen and hopefully we'll be able to uh, get him on the podcast in uh, a future episode. Uh, the guy looks like he's had a very, very interesting and varied career. He's uh, been a paramedic and uh, spent some time in the airlines so uh, sounds like someone that we really need to talk to.
1: Well, there we go. I'm going to go and park my Segway. I've used it to the max this uh, episode. There's been Segways galore including the few that I fell off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, don't blame me, mate. I don't
0: think uh, I'd be able to balance for one second on one of those things.
1: (laughs) Well, if certain ex-presidents of the United States can mostly stay on them, I think I can give it a pretty good go.
0: You can find show notes with links to all our articles on our website at www.playingcrazydownunder.com. You can click on links to all the articles that we've sourced our material from on this episode and any other episodes. Uh, Leave some comments if you like. We always appreciate feedback, particularly positive feedback, but we'll take any others as well
1: yeah we prefer the positive but hey you know if you've got to tell us we're wrong please be nice
0: yeah music and uh sound effects on this podcast are sourced from soundsnap.com and uh just for the few there's been a few people that have asked what the rather catchy tune is that we uh, use on the podcast it's called you name it five by brian simpson uh he also goes by the name of well i say t3cat5 but uh grant's actually worked out that's probably means cats as his yes, username no, It's spelt in speak. Yeah, so uh, find that uh, on soundsnap.com, a great website for sound effects and music. We've got a fan page on Facebook. You can uh, have a look there, and we use that to publicise what we're doing when we're putting episodes out and any other news we find relevant. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our handle there is PCDU. Nice and easy, that one. Nice and easy, that one. Uh, You can have a look at my personal blog. It's ozflyer.com. I'm Steve Vischer, or one word on Twitter. And if you're really desperate and really want to see what my ugly face looks like, you can also find me on Facebook. What about you, Grant? Uh, yeah, you
1: can uh, find me as uh, Falcon124 on uh, Twitter. You can also follow my blog as uh, Fly FlyMeFriendly. You can go to blog.com flymefriendly.com and the flymefriendly.com site also has my photos and a few other things on it aviation related and from an aviation perspective they're the two best ways to find me on the net.
0: So that's everything we have for you here on this week's episode of Plan Crazy Down Under. We'll catch you again next week but until
1: then remember it's what's down under that counts.